0: From KLCC Studios, this is Oregon on the Record. I'm Michael Dunn. You'd be forgiven if you're thinking right now that our drug policy in Oregon is all over the map. One moment, drug possession is decriminalized, yet now it seems like the legislature is gonna reverse that stance. Whatever the outcome, both sides of this issue agree on one thing, the widespread use and availability of illicit fentanyl is a massive public health problem. Today on Oregon on the Record, you'll hear from the coordinator of Lane County's Fentanyl Awareness Program and how they hope to educate the public about the dangers of this drug, promote life-saving overdose prevention, and promote a community-wide collaboration. It's a big departure from the old axiom of just say no to drugs, and a more judgment-free and practical guide to staying safe and staying alive. Today on the show, you'll hear from the Overdose Prevention Coordinator at Lane County Public Health, Alexander Levesque, who's leading the organization's education and information campaign against this generation's narcotic bête noir fentanyl. Alexander Levake, the Overdose Prevention Coordinator for Lane County Public Health, thanks so much for coming in and talking with us. Thank you. Glad yeah. to be here. Yeah. Boy. You know, if you can, the 30,000-foot view, talk about the scope of the problem you're seeing with regard to fentanyl on our streets, in our community. Our community here is um, experienced
1: very similarly what many of, uh, much of the nation is experiencing, which is the onset for several years now of the most deadly uh, street Substance to really hit the United States, that Hmm. being fentanyl, a synthetic opioid.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I know you're not a doctor, but just even anecdotally, why is it so addictive? Or you know, kind of what 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 is it about fentanyl that makes it just so
1: potent? Fentanyl is an opioid, and much like the opioids that we know of as pharmaceutical opioids, things that we have been prescribed by our doctors and pharmacies, um, opioids are addictive to humans. We have opioid receptors in our own brains. Opioids are part of our physiology. However, when we start to synthesize really strong opioids, including pharmaceuticals like Oxycontin and Percocet, are level of tolerance is is quickly shifted and so someone that's using opioids not as prescribed or misusing a pharmaceutical opioid or using something much stronger like heroin or fentanyl the body creates a quick dependency a quick tolerance um, and what that really means is, is 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 a very uh higher chance of addiction
0: yeah If we were to go back I don't know five ten years you know it it seems like the word fentanyl was was something that the the general public hadn't really heard of before And, and so my question to you is it seems pardon if this is a tortured analogy but like this this wave that just crashed over America and my question is is why did it happen seemingly so fast The perspective I take is to really take a look at the
1: history, the recent history of America's use of opioids. Really what we saw happen in the late 90s and early 2000s was an overuse and overprescribing of strong prescription opioids. And there's plenty of... A reading available out mm-hmm. there on how the pharmaceutical industry marketed Oxycontin and other substances, creating newfound addiction and dependency within a lot of often struggling communities in our country. Mm-hmm. What we saw happen, slightly anecdotally, I would say, is that uh, the quick control that was taken over uh, on our pharmaceutical industry, on our medical industry, how folks were re educated, um, and also regulated in their prescribing and their normalization of things like opioids, prescription opioids, as um, the best of pain management. We saw those drugs quickly become harder to access for people that already may have formed a dependency um, for pain management or just addiction to these said drugs. What we saw sort of soon after that is that the drug cartels that make, make money off selling illicit substances um, throughout the world really looked at a lot of the United States and said, we have opioid addicts and hmm. we can make money off of them. Hmm. So I really do think we, we there were some missteps done at our federal and level and in our medical community that really led to Um, a great space for drug traffickers to um, take
0: advantage of. Yeah. It's, it's almost the, uh, the fact of, 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 economics 101, the idea of supply and demand, and it's such an insidious part of this, but obviously the drug trade fits so well into that narrative. I mean, America is this 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 land of demand for, for opioids like you just talked about. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. And a lot of that demand was created by our medical providers. Yeah. And then it sounds like... It, it sounds like what we hear in the news a lot is 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 that fentanyl. It's it's sort of easy to manufacture, you know, in, uh, in different countries, and then it gets it sort of floods in that way. It seems to be that fentanyl sort of is made somewhere else, and then it kind of comes into the country this way. There's not so much domestic production as as far as you know. Is it more coming from other places, or is it that there is uh, uh, illicit fentanyl manufacturing right here?
1: Well, let's be clear and note that there is fentanyl. Made pharmaceutically, right? It's used in hospitals and okay. medical settings for pain management. Okay, and we want to make sure folks do differentiate that the illicit fentanyl Great point. is is not that. Mm-hmm. Um, so folks um, are often more nervous when they hear a a nurse or a doctor tell them we're gonna provide you some fentanyl, which um, we don't want people to think of it as the same thing. It's almost a a misstep in naming it the same idea. But uh, what I would say is that um, most of it is not that illicit fentanyl is coming from other regions of the globe. Mm -hmm. I would also point out that, you know, humans have a long history of using opium, the plant that uh, later became known as, you know, processed into heroin. Uh, That's not new for Mm. for humans to interact with that plant in different ways. Heroin, you know, being around as an illicit opioid was plant-based, is plant-based and has been part of cultures and uh, drug supply in the United States and other countries for a very long time. What we have happening with fentanyl is this cheap, easy way to make it kind of replaces that plant-based process. So if you think about something that requires land and water and, and labor to process, uh, that's no longer really the state of, of, uh, of it all now that something can be made cheaply and easily in a lab without all of those. And when I say lab, I mean a basement or a garage, right? It does not require um, that of heroin or anything plant-based. Got it,
0: got it. Well, let me reintroduce you to our audience. We're talking with Alexander Levake. He is the Overdose Prevention Coordinator for Lane County Public Health. Talk about the program and the education component and communication component.
1: Yeah, so I'm coming at this from a public health perspective, mm-hmm. and the public health perspective would tell us that education, awareness, uh, and destigmatizing certain types of conversations is one way to promote um, different health behaviors, to promote safety and and healthy choices. What, really, what we're doing with our campaign, which is Fentanyl Aware Lane County, mm-hmm. is is reaching our local community here and across Lane County in ways that meet people where they're at. We know that young people um, are often uh, Uh, not taught about these things in schools and other settings and we know that the families caregivers and schools that support young people are are just as confused as as many of us around what exactly is going on with this substance what is naloxone why are we having these conversations? The headlines um, seem to be, you know, coming from all different directions. So our goal in this campaign over the last year was for Lane County Public Health to raise awareness, to demystify some of the information out there and promote conversation, spark conversation among people about addiction, about substances, about reducing
0: harm to uh, overdose. Yeah. And and we'll put the link uh, on, on, on our show when we put put this show up on our website, you know, Maybe break down some of the components of of what they'll find on on the website as people go there.
1: Sure. Fentanylaware.com is our landing page, which includes a very, you know, 101 basic, what is fentanyl and how is it playing a role here in Lane County? We want people to know about naloxone, otherwise known as Narcan, the overdose reversal medication, which is now over the counter and accessible to anyone that's able to purchase it in that environment. We want to promote some other harm reduction safety around. The risk of mixing substances, uh, the way that some people might be able to test their drugs if they are interested in that, and and really some just other messages that are at this point best practices from a public health perspective. Yeah. our campaign is web-based, but we are also all over social media. And right now, as we speak, we have a, a, a great campaign going on on TikTok, Snapchat, and some of those places we know that young people are engaging with technology and social media.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting, and and I know you and I were talking earlier about the fact that, you know, I I grew up in the era of just say no. It it wasn't so much about education. It was just Drugs are bad, don't do it, move on. And, and I think in, in a lot of ways, whether it was the best intentions or not, it really didn't work. Absolutely. And and, and you're right, we do have plenty of
1: evidence now that just say no type of programming, abstinence-based messaging um, did fail to work. It doesn't mean not some it it, it doesn't mean that's not the choice for many, mm-hmm. but it also we acknowledge that not everyone will make that or have that ability to make those choices at any given moment and this applies to a lot of health behavior we also know that scare tactics have been proven to um, turn people in the other direction uh, we as all as humans tend not to change our behaviors <laughs> when we find out something's bad about what we're doing so when it comes to drugs as risky as fentanyl knowing that life and death are are, are, are a potential we really want folks to have conversations and normalize conversations rather than just say no
0: rather than just just say uh, doom and gloom, right? So that's the goal of this campaign. It's a very exciting program that, that, that you've launched at Lane County Public Health. Maybe talk a little bit about y- y- your hopeful outcomes, some, some goals you have around this awareness campaign about the drug fentanyl. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, and as we were saying, this the ultimate goal is really to raise awareness, to spark conversation, to make few people, uh, families, friends, and and young people feel comfortable acknowledging the reality of, of this situation, as well as protecting themselves and their friends with things like naloxone or Narcan. But we also know that we want to reach people where they're at through a variety of social media channels. We, we we understand that you know a campaign that comes from government is not always something that people want to engage with uh, depends on your age and your and your place. So we really created something that felt user-friendly. We have our own social media profiles. Uh, and as I said, we are really trying to promote things through places that we know that young people are at. We're also working with our school districts across the county to really leverage already conversations around risk to young people and, and, and acknowledge that the schools are Often at capacity when it comes to conversations like this, both just trying to fit new ideas and curriculum into the daytime, but also acknowledging that schools face political frameworks that that say sometimes struggle to talk about things like substance use and mental health. So we really are able to help our school districts by saying this is Lane County Public Health bringing to you a a message, a campaign, and a tool that you can use in your community, whether it's out rural in the coast or right here in the downtown Eugene area. We want folks to adapt parts of our campaign in the ways that really meet their community's needs. Okay. Has it been pretty well received by the school districts that you've interacted with? Most districts across the county are now carrying naloxone as part of their first aid, training Mm -hmm. staff, and bringing education not just to administrators and teachers, but to students themselves. I myself have sat in front of many, many 10th and 11th 11th (laughs) grade classrooms now. (laughs) Brave man. (laughs) Yeah, I really wasn't sure how that was going to go, but uh, I have survived it. And uh, we now have learned a lot of lessons about where young people are at how they want to receive this information. I don't meet too many young people that are not aware Mm -hmm. of this issue, but maybe looking for more information about how to think about it on how to acknowledge who in their own life might be at risk. It's not all about young people, right? Young people have adults in their lives that are struggling with addiction and mental health. And we think that young people now are empowered to learn about this issue, maybe even carry naloxone because they have someone in their family or life that struggles in, in a certain way.
0: Yeah, you've mentioned naloxone and Narcan several times. So it's a good good opportunity now to talk about it. Boy, not only, I, I imagine that was quite a game changer in in reverse overdose but certainly making it more widely available must have been a huge uh, uh, part of reversing overdoses. It has become a product that seems more
1: accepted by people as something that is every day. I, I think it's spent a lot of years still sort of living in a world of stigma where anyone that sort of thought about having Narcan, uh, which is an overdose medication that can be administered through the nose. Um, and there's also, uh, there's m- intramuscular formats as well. We promote the uh, the nasal spray that's now available in most retail pharmacies. And it, it gives people just at least that sense of safety. Say, hey, I have this in the, in the glove box of my car just because I know that there's, I live in a neighborhood where there's people that live outside that are potential uh, for a, a overdose risk, or I know that I have a friend or a loved one that is is experimenting with substances or getting something from a, a source that you know we don't really know what's going on. So I think it's time for folks to just say this is a product that's safe. It's 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 available over the counter. It doesn't cause drug use. It doesn't increase drug use. It really
0: we know that it does one thing and one thing only, which is reverse an opioid overdose. Um another thing that struck me on your on your website, you do a good job of laying out I think what it would what would be termed sort of a good Samaritan law. And this idea that Anybody who sees someone who might be experiencing a drug overdose, you know, I, I imagine sometimes people would be afraid, like, boy, if I get involved or if I do something, I, I, I could be criminally convicted or, or get in trouble. But as I understand it from the Good Samaritan Law, just, just making a call and saying, I think someone needs help, you don't have to worry about any kind of recriminations. Is that correct? That is correct.
1: Oregon, as well as many other states, have a variety of different Samaritan laws, good Samaritan laws, that really protect us as individuals from intervening in situations. For example, if the police are called as part of a 911 emergency because someone is medically unconscious or non-responsive, we think maybe drugs were involved. Well, regardless of the first responders that show up, the law would say that they are there for that medical emergency. They cannot come in and start searching people or busting people for drugs. So we really think it's important people know that it's always important to call 911 in that type of situation, regardless of concerns you might have about getting in trouble or going to jail because of it. And also when we think about something like naloxone, well, that's a medication that we are able to administer to someone else. And, you know, we don't usually go around medicating people without consent. Sure. (laughs) Um, So it gives us this, this, this safety zone that says, if I, if I believe that someone that I encounter, whether I know them or not is potentially having an opioid overdose and I administer this medication on them, then I am protected for having done so regardless of the outcome
0: of the situation. Let me reintroduce you to our audience. We're talking to Alexander Levake. He is the overdose uh, prevention coordinator for Lane County Public Health. Um, obviously, you and I are having this conversation in the shadow of a lot of uh, back and forth, a lot of uh, 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 work being done in Salem about Measure 110, which, of course, decriminalized certain certain, certain amounts of, of, of illicit drugs. And there's a lot of work being done, a lot of talk being done about about reversing that. And I'm not going to ask you to weigh in necessarily on the the pros and cons of Measure 110, but I am curious about if we go back to criminalizing uh, possession of of certain drugs like before Measure 110, what might be some of the perhaps unintended consequences of, of something like that? right many aspects of of these policies uh, and regardless of
1: which side you come at uh, you have public health components to them and and i think through those regularly i'm I'm really eager to see what we um have coming forth out of our legislative session right now um, and right down to this week Uh, i know that there'll be public health implications either way for how we are able to support people uh, that have suffer with addiction suffer uh, through homelessness and, and really um, uh, have an experience where their addiction is treated um, as a crime and less of a, of a health care issue. So I also look at the concerns about what happens to folks that do become incarcerated because of uh, drug possession or for any reason. We have data that tells us that people's risk of overdosing, um, it, it goes up somewhere as much as tenfold after they've spent time uh, in jail or prison. that's shocking. It's shocking, and it's because there are elements to having come down off a substance, uh, and your tolerance goes down, your ability to um, cope. Otherwise, it shifts, and, and here you are, sort of three days later, left uh, left with no device, right? We, we of course, see people's um, uh, overdose risk go up. Here at in Lane County, our, our, our jail does great work in making sure people have options while they are inside, while they are, have access to medicated assisted
0: treatment, and that they're offered Narcan upon release. Yeah. Um, Obviously, law enforcement is a a big part of the equation about illicit drug use. And and I'm not asking you to be a police expert, but I am curious in terms of, is there a happy medium between the public health approach and the law enforcement approach towards a better outcome community-wide, in your opinion? I like to think we can keep going towards that. I think that's
1: very key that those two Uh, entities really start to think through how we are going to uh, intervene with folks that are really struggling, that are addicted to fentanyl and methamphetamines and, and, and of course, um, running that kind of uh, sort of criminal side, right, where people are going to see this as something that uh, should be taken care of, right? At the same time, we know that addiction is a health issue and should be treated as just so I really hope to see that regardless of the outcomes of of this current uh, legislative that we still continue to work together uh, to to address it in that way okay
0: you know, Alexander. Probably my last question for you is this: You know, what are your hopes for the program? Uh, you know, kind of going forward in terms of uh, uh, awareness, usage, just just an overall. Your hopes th- that you'll know in an X period of time that this was this was this was a, su- a success. We know that there are thousands and thousands of people engaging with
1: this campaign through social media, and that would not have been happening without it, right? Mm. So we know that we're bringing a public health message to. Our community here in Lane County, and so we know that give it some time, and we might have, we might be able to see an effect that is through people's understanding, people's ability to think through situations, and and of course, very importantly, is are we still stigmatizing drugs in a
0: way that causes harm to people with uh, substance use disorder? Yeah, yeah. Well said. Well said. Well, uh, we certainly wish you the best of luck in the program, um, Alexander Levesque, is the. Overdose Prevention Coordinator with Lane County Public Health. As always, really appreciate you coming in and talking to us. Absolutely, thanks for having me in. That's our show for today. I wanna thank my guest, Alexander Levaque, the Overdose Prevention Coordinator for Lane County Public Health for coming on the show. On Monday, you'll hear from the Cascade Raptor Center and their rehabilitation specialist on what it takes to help these magnificent birds recover from injury. This show, along with all episodes of Oregon on the Record is available at klcc.org. I'm Michael Dunn, and this has been Oregon on the Record from KLCC. Thanks for listening.